I had a gentleman that sent me over some excerpts from Jack Bauer's show. I'm going to play the excerpt here for you because I want you to listen to it because he goes into pretty good detail on this. So this even blows any charges under Title 18, under 921-922, because the National Fire Registration Act, it blows it right out the door on any firearm charge because we're being charged wrongfully, even when it comes down to a pistol, because it tells you as long as it's got a rifled bore, it is not considered a firearm. Let me play this episode because I figured with what was given to me, Ladies and gentlemen, we need better education on all of this. So sit back. This is going to be a pre-recording of Jack Bauer's show with a guest that he had on his show. Not a state agency. They were a corporation created by the statutes in the legislature. If you allowed attorneys, members of a bar association, which is just a club and a, a professional association, to take money out of the state treasury. Next thing you know, carpenters and plumbers and electricians are going to be wanting money from the state treasury. And that ain't going to happen. I mean, he laid it out. And I was amazed when I read that. I was like, you know what? That that tells you something. So now what they did was they changed it um, somehow, and I haven't really gone into the specifics of it, but the Idaho State Bar is now more than a corporation and less than a state agency. It's like a quasi-agency. So what they did was they created, by statute, the Idaho Law Foundation Incorporated. It is a corporation. It's registered with the Secretary of State to do business in the state of Idaho as a corporation, and they are the ones who provide legal services to the public by a public defender. So even though the public defenders are members of the Idaho State Bar, they're operating through the Idaho Law Foundation. And they have those same kind of accounts in the Idaho Law Foundation incorporated. And those are the ones, when you deal with the public defender, and I think it's probably the same in every state, you, um, you may not be able to find it. Maybe they haven't incorporated it in some states. But in Idaho, it's the Idaho Law Foundation Incorporated. You can look it up. You can do a search for it, and it'll come right up, and it'll tell you what they are. Oh, yeah, it's so, so noble and, you know, all this integrity. And this is how we provide services to the public for indigent defendants and blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? It's a corporation. I don't want to be a customer of that corporation. But, they're, again, if you're given a public defender, he's appointed to you for one reason or another, whether it's indigency or something else. He's forced counsel. You know, I told this guy who um, they wouldn't allow the attorney to withdraw. Uh, he let one guy go, and then the other attorney, my friend, shit canned him. He said, you're fired. He goes, well, no, I don't think so. He said, yeah, I don't want to see you again. And he went into court, and the judge said, no, I'm the only one who can fire him. What? I fired him, Your Honor. You can't fire him. I'm the only one who can fire him. Well, that means he's the client. The judge is the client. He controls the attorney. He hired him. He can fire him. My friend fired him. Doesn't matter. Well, guess what? Now you have a First Amendment violation because 
under the First Amendment, you have a, one of the things in there is freedom of association. What does that mean? That means you can you have a right to associate with anyone you want to associate with. That's your right. If you want to associate with the Hell's Angels and hang out with bikers, so be it. That's a gang that maybe you want to hang out with. You have a right to do that under the freedom of association that's mentioned in the First Amendment. What people don't understand is every right has an invert right, an inverted right, an inversion, some other aspect of it on the other flip side of the coin. And what it means is that you also have the right not to associate with any individual or any group that you do not want to associate with. So if you don't want to hang out with bikers, then you have a right not to hang out with Hell's Angels. Same thing with the bar association. I exercise my freedom of association not to associate with any member of a bar association. That's your right. So if your counsel is forced upon you, sue the judge's ass in federal court under the First Amendment. We've got a federal question here. Freedom of association. I do not want to associate with members of the Bar Association. They may say to you, well, why not? I don't have to tell you why. But I'll tell you what, I will tell you why. Because I've been involved with four of those guys, and I got screwed by every single one of them. How's that? Is that a good enough reason for you? They stole my money. He didn't tell me about my rights. He didn't look at the statute. He, he could have found two attorneys in this one case, could have looked at the jury instruction and saw the definition of what it meant to give a false report to the police. And it doesn't mean giving a false statement to the police when they ask you a question, because that's protected under the Fifth Amendment. You could say, I have, I have a right to remain silent, and I'm going to remain silent. If you don't answer that question, it's the same thing as if you give a false answer. There's no difference. He hasn't been obstructed any worse than if you had remained silent. Now, this is what a real attorney who's a counselor and a lawyer and an advocate for you will do. He'll find that out, and he'll call that prosecutor up, and he goes, hey, you got a big problem there, Bob. you got to drop count three and count four. Well, how come? Well, Branstetter versus State. It's right here. He didn't give any false reports to the police. So I know you don't want me to embarrass you in court. I hate to do it because we got to play golf next week. You know what I mean? So you have a right not to associate with any individual or group you don't want to associate with. Attorneys. Bar Association, don't want to hang out with them, don't want to associate with them in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> so if the judge doesn't allow him to withdraw or um, go for your wishes, you don't want to, you want to fire the attorney, then he has to let you do it, specifically if you give that reason. Yeah, he's a member of the bar. I don't want to have anything to do with him. So, um, anyway, um, what I wanted to talk about tonight, Jack, was, um, and I don't know if we talked about this, I may have sent this to you before, but it's something that's near and dear to our hearts, and it's something that is, it's reaching the boiling point, okay? And I'm, I'm getting emails from people, and I'm getting links to videos from people, and I've seen some news stories on television news, you know, um, the, the mayor and the police chief of Chicago saying that they're going to just shoot people who have concealed weapons permits. Yeah, if they come in here and they've got a gun and they just they pull it out or whatever, I'm just, we're just going to shoot them. 
just going to shoot them down, dead. Now, Chicago and New York have some of the most severe gun control laws in the country, and they have the highest murder rate and, and uh, violent crime rates in the country. So to say that more gun laws stop violent crimes, it's ridiculous to even say that. But to push this on the American people to say this is the reason why we want to pass these gun control executive orders, which that's ridiculous in itself. Executive orders don't apply to the people. It applies to the employees of the federal government. And they're for internal use only. And then to say that they're going to bring this to the legislature for these reasons is ridiculous. Then I'm getting um, out here out in, in the West, Canyon County. It's the county next to Ada County, which is where I'm an inhabitant of. Okay? He said, I'm not going to enforce those laws. They pass any gun laws, I'm not even going to enforce them. He flat out came out and said it. I'm not going to enforce it. And a guy in Oregon said the same thing. That's unconstitutional for him to pass an executive order banning some kind of a firearm or weapon. There's now about 10 in Oregon, Michael, that that (laughs) jumped on this, about 10. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the lines are being drawn, and it's not in the sand. It's the middle of the street now. The lines are being drawn in the middle of the street. And the question is, which way are the police and the paramilitary police and the National Guard, who should never be here, um, against people <laughs> and the, the military forces under the National Defense Authorization Act to allow the military to operate in this country. You know, they're going to be standing on one side of the line. People are going to be on the other side of the line, and they're going to be looking at their mothers and their sisters and their brothers and their cousins, and they're going to have to decide, am I going to shoot them or am I going to walk across the line and be on their side against this corrupt, evil government? They're going to have to make the decision. But if they decide to start shooting, I mean, it would be like, suppose the Chinese started marching from China across the Bering Strait when it was frozen, and they started coming, and they walked into Montana, and they kept walking and coming in and coming in and coming in. We could set up uh, Gatling guns and all the, all the guns we have and shoot them down dead, and we would run out of ammunition before they ran out of people to come and walk over us. They would eventually walk over us because their their birth rate is so high that they would just, there are too many of them. There's nothing we could do to stop them. It's the same thing with the people and the police. Sooner or later, the police are going to run out of bullets. But there's going to be hundreds of millions of people, American people, with their guns who are going to keep shooting. And if you're like, well, that's it. All the cops and all the soldiers, they're all dead. And now there's 100 million people left alive. Yay, we won. Is that the kind of revolution it's going to be this time? I hope not. But I can tell people now that <clears throat> and it amazes me. They talk about handguns. And they talk about pistols. And we got rifles. And we got shotguns. And we got assault rifles. There's no such thing as an assault rifle. A rifle is a rifle. Okay, let's call it what it is. There's no such thing as a handgun. Yeah, when you, you can talk about it on the street and say, yeah, I've got a handgun. I want to go rob a liquor, liquor store. A handgun? Yeah, here. i got a gun here. But the fact is we're not dealing with the colloquial language. We're dealing with the law. And as we know, and I've said this before on my calls, There's a difference between a word 
of the English language and a term in law, a term of art. The law deals with terms, and every term can only have one meaning. If a term can be construed to mean something different between two different people, then it's ambiguous. And if it's ambiguous and it's used in a code or a statute, then that code or statute is void for vagueness. Okay, this is a doctrine of the law. If one person and another person have a, a disagreement about what, what a term means in the law, person, well, what does that mean? Well, I think it means a corporation. Well, well I think it means a human being. Uh-oh, guess what? That term is ambiguous. And any statute or code that contains the word person is void for vagueness. Ambiguity is one of the um, terms falls under vagueness. And there's a doctrine in law, void for vagueness. Okay, so why am I saying this? Because there's a term in law that is not being used. They're trying to circumvent it. They're going around it by using the term assault weapon, assault rifle. There's one term in the law. And all of this falls under, and it's firearm, okay? Second Amendment talks about the right to bear arms, okay? <clears throat> well, that has been construed to mean firearm, a firearm, a pistol, a shotgun, a rifle, an assault rifle, a howitzer, a 50 cal. They're all firearms, right? Maybe. Maybe not. How do you know? You have to look it up, right? Right. So where do you look it up? Well, you can go to a dictionary, or you can go to a law dictionary. You're not to find it there. I don't think you will. You might. But the, where you have to go is in some code or statute. The definition of a term must be codified. And when you look in that code, it tells you what that term means, and that's the term that it means, and it means nothing else. That's all it means, one thing. If it means something else, it's ambiguous, and the, the codes and the statutes are void for vagueness. So you have to go to the code. But what you have to do is you have to find the code. They're not going to tell you where it is, okay? Well, I'm going to tell you where it is, and I want everybody to listen because I've said this before. This is a research paper that I did. And I found it, and I looked it up, and I wrote it down, and I researched it, and I came to one conclusion, okay? We are getting screwed. People are having this argument. They're having this national discussion. They're passing laws, executive orders, referring to firearms, and they don't even have a clue what it means. This is what we should be saying. We shouldn't be talking about, well, you don't need an assault rifle. What's the matter? I, it doesn't matter whether I need it or not. I have a right to have it. <laughs> well, no, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Stupid arguments. These are not the arguments we should be having. We should be telling them, okay, you can make all the laws you want about firearms. Go ahead. I don't care. It doesn't affect me, and it doesn't affect my pistol, my rifle, or my shotgun. Why? Here's why. All of the firearm implementing regulations, and you have to violate a regulation in order for the B violation, are under Title 27 CFR. 
CFR 27. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. ATF, right? Right. Nobody can argue with that. Okay? But I don't hear anybody talking about it. ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And I always joke about it. I say it's the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Fireworks. Okay? But here's the thing. The Title 27 implementing regulations, if you look at them, refer back to a title in the U.S. Code. And people have done this before about taxes. They look at Title 26 in the United States Code. Okay? That's the tax code. It's not the Internal Revenue Code, the IRC. That's something completely different. It is the tax code codified under Title 26 of the United States Code. Okay? That's where all the tax codes are. All codes must have an implementing regulation. It's called a statutory scheme. In order for the statute to have any force and effect, there must be an implementing regulation. Well, the implementing regulations in Title 26, by and large, for the most part, are in Title 27, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. So what the hell does that have to do with income taxes? Nothing, other than the fact that if you're selling alcohol, then you have to pay tax. If you're a liquor dispensary, if you're a, um, a distillery, if you're in the alcohol or tobacco or firearm industry, you pay taxes, okay? If you're not, you don't. It's as simple as that because that's where the implementing regulations are. I've done extensive research on this. So have other people. So one day, and somebody kind of pushed me in the right direction and pointed me here, okay, and uh, here's what I found out. And if, you're, if you have a pen or you have a, a browser with tabs, go open up a tab or take your pen and paper. I'll wait a second. Okay, that's long enough. Write this down. 26 USC section 5845. 26 USC 5845-5845. What does the Constitution say? It says the con this Constitution and the laws of the United States passed in pursuance thereof shall be the law of the land. Anything in the codes and statutes or constitutions of the state, notwithstanding, and every judge shall be bound thereby. I don't give a shit what the state statute says. I don't care what a case law from a state says. I don't care what a state constitution says. The Supremacy Clause, Article 6 of the Constitution, says this Constitution and the laws of the United States passed in pursuance thereof are the law of the land, the supreme law of the land. 26 U.S.C. 5845 is a law of the United States passed in pursuance of the Constitution. I'm not going to get into a semantic argument with anybody about a code or a statute. It doesn't apply to me, blah, 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 blah. Okay? You want this to apply to you. Trust me. But the fact is, this is a law passed in pursuance of the Constitution, the law of the United States, and it is the supreme law of the land. No matter what any state law or any state constitution or any state asshole tells you, okay? 26 U.S.C. 5845. Definitions. For the purpose of this chapter, little a, firearm. The term firearm, quote, unquote, means, one, a shotgun having a barrel or barrels of less than 18 inches in length. Do you hear what I just said? The term firearm means a shotgun 
having a barrel or barrels of less than 18 inches in length. Okay? Okay. Number three, a rifle having a barrel or barrels of less than 16 inches in length. Number five, any other weapon as defined in subsection E. Subsection E says the term, doesn't say word, it says the term, any other weapon means a pistol or revolver having a barrel with a smooth bore designed or redesigned to fire a fixed shotgun shell. Such term shall not include a pistol or a revolver having a rifled bore or rifled bores. Now, I hope you heard what I just said, because this is the argument that we should be making. If you really want to have your gun rights upheld, Second Amendment, however you want to say it, I have a right to own a gun, I can have a firearm, okay? Do I have a firearm? All of the laws, all the gun laws, all the gun control laws refer to firearms. Do you have one? If you don't, the laws don't apply to you. Or if they apply to you and you apply them, you're not subject to them. Why? Because, let's go back to Section A, 1, a shotgun having a barrel or barrels less than 18 inches. What does that mean? That means a sawed-off shotgun. Why? Well, this, this code is the National Firearms Act, people. The National Firearms Act is codified in Title 26, the tax code. This is where you find the definition of firearm and nowhere else. This is the controlling definition. Now, the reason they did this when they passed the National Firearms Act way back when, without running afoul of the Second Amendment, because you can't prohibit people from owning firearms, period. You shall pass no law infringing on the rights to bear arms. Okay, well, they had to have an excuse. Okay, what's the excuse? What's the excuse? Crime prevention. In order to prevent crime, in order to prevent some criminal from taking a shotgun and sawing it off less than 18 inches on the barrel, sticking it under his trench coat, walking into a bank and saying, all right, everybody down on the floor, give me the money. Think of how threatening that is. Somebody coming in with a sawed-off shotgun and pulls it out in a bank, I'm on the floor, man, and the, the teller's going to give him the money. <laughs> now, if he has a, a barrel longer than 18 inches, he, chances are it's going to be sticking out of his coat. You can't conceal a shotgun with a really long barrel, but a, a sawed-off shotgun, you can stick it under your coat. Same thing with a rifle. If you have a rifle with a barrel more than 16 inches, it's going to be hard to conceal. It's going to be hard to pull out. It's going to be hard to swing it around. People are going to see it. But if you saw the rifle barrel off, then you can hide it under your coat. <laughs> so, so it makes sense. In order to prevent crime, terrorism, it's like terrorism. A guy came into the bank and he had a sawed-off shotgun. He whipped it out from under his coat. I didn't even know he had it. He hit it in my face and he said, where's the safe? You're going to give him the money. Okay? So they passed this law putting this definition in order to prevent crime. It makes sense. It wouldn't run afoul of the Constitution. This would be found to be constitutional. Any law that for gun control, for crime prevention, would be perfectly constitutional as long as they stay within this definition. Okay? Now, what I did was 
I went out on the Internet. Let's see. Da, 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 da. I'm not a firearms expert, okay? But I do know what a pistol or a revolver with a rifle bore is. They all have rifle bores, okay? So by definition, that's not a firearm. They all have rifle bores. So it says in the paragraph above on E, a pistol or revolver having a barrel with a smooth bore designed or redesigned to fire a fixed shotgun shell. Oh, I get it. Somebody, you're on the street, you're walking down the street. Somebody reaches in their pocket and they pull out a pistol. And that pistol has a smooth bore designed to fire a shotgun shell. That's a fat-looking barrel on that pistol. Guess what? You can have my wallet. Take all my money. You want my rings? Here. Just don't shoot me with that shotgun shell that you have in that smooth bore pistol that you have. That makes perfect sense for crime prevention. And it's constitutional. Probably. But the fact is they have to stay within these definitions. Such term shall not include a pistol or revolver having a rifle bore. That's what all pistols have. So that they little spirals, right? It puts marks on the bullet, and they can do ballistic testing. It helps the, the, the bullet fire straight. Yes, they all do. So are there any rifles out there with barrels longer than 16 inches? Okay. Got on the Internet, Marlin 9805. Here's a Marlin 9805. I've got a picture of it in my research paper. It says barrel, 22-inch barrel with micro-groove rifling, and the overall length is 41 inches. So there's one. Is that a firearm? Hell no. Why? Because a firearm is rifle is defined as having a barrel of 16 inches, less than 16 inches, not 16 inches or less, less than 16 inches. So any rifle that has a 16-inch barrel, and there are millions of them out there, is not a firearm. It's not. No law pertaining to a rifle applies to you if your rifle has a barrel 16 inches or longer. What is wrong with you people? I'm just a reader of the law. You know? So let's all book, uh, book a flight and, and uh, take our... Uh our devices with us. I mean, how much crap are we going to get in trouble with? And what's our chances of winning when we take it to the court process? Well, it all depends on if you're allowed into court with your Marlin 9805. Right? They don't want guns in court. We don't want any guns. Well, no firearms in court. I don't have a firearm. I got a Marlin 9805. It's got a 22-inch barrel. does not fall under the definition of firearm. So get out of my way. I'm coming in. Great point. Great point. Yeah, this is the point we should all be making. Well, you fell in with a firearm. Somebody who's a felon, convicted felon. They were probably falsely convicted. I can tell you right now. I don't know what the percentage is, but a very large percentage of all people who are convicted of felonies are wrongfully convicted. But if you have a gun in certain states under certain circumstances after you've been convicted of a felony, they'll charge you with felon in possession of a firearm 15 years in federal prison. And there are people sitting there right now because of that. What? Wow. I had a I had a Marlin 9805. That's not a firearm. What attorney is going to, here we go again, why aren't the attorneys doing this? Because they're part of the whole conspiracy for disarmament and to put people in prison. So what about shotguns? Are there any shotguns out there with barrels 18 inches or longer? Well, here's a Benelli Montefeltro Silver 12 gauge. 28-inch barrel, 
Is it a firearm? No. It clearly says 18 inches or less, or excuse me, less than 18 inches. A shotgun with a barrel less than 18 inches is a firearm. If it has an 18-inch barrel or longer, it's not a firearm. What the hell is going on? So I want to know what the hell is going on. <laughs> and here's what's going on. They don't charge you under the tax code. They don't charge you under the implementing regulations. They're charging people under Title 18 of the U.S. Code. And the Title 18 of the United States Code, Section 921, 922, they're dragging people into court under 18 U.S.C. 921 and 922. Okay? That's what they're doing. So, because that code says gun, handgun, it, it changes, they use a different word or different terms. Okay? However, um, Here's what I did. I went into 18 U.S.C. 921. And what I found out was in the notes to Title 18, Chapter 44, Firearms, is where it is, okay? You can look this one up too, Title 18, 921. Modification of other laws. Here's what it says. This is Section 104 of Title I of Public Law 90-618, as amended by Public Law 98-514, Section 2, October 22, 1986, 100-2095, provided that, quote, nothing in this title or the amendment made thereby amending this chapter shall be construed as modifying or affecting any provision of, A, the national Firearms Act, Chapter 53 of the Internal Revenue Code of 1986, Section 5801XC of Title 26, the Internal Revenue Code codified in the U.S. Code. You hear what I just said? Nothing in this title, nothing in Chapter 44 of Firearms in Title 18 shall be construed as modifying or affecting any provision of the National Firearms Act, 5801 FC. Well, what did I just say a minute ago? 5845. That is part of the National Firearms Act, 5801 FC and following. Okay? So it's telling you that nothing in Title 18 can be, or even amendments to it, can be construed. In other words, no prosecutor can think it means and it changed the definition of what a firearm is. Because under 921, they changed the definition to firearm means any weapon, including a starter gun, which will or is designed to or may readily be converted to expel a projectile by the action of an explosive. That's a pretty general definition. Any weapon, okay, which will or is designed to or may be readily converted to expel a projectile by the action of an explosive. Guess what? That is overbroad. Overbroad. So what did they do? They put in parentheses, including a starter gun. So technically, under this code, the only thing that's a firearm is a starter gun. They're telling you, including a starter gun. This is attorneys writing and wordsmithing these codes 
so that people get confused and they forget what their rights are. So um, it goes down a little further. Um, and what I did was I, I did some research on the National Firearms Act. It's amazing. The National Firearms Act, originally enacted in 1934, guess what? The same year as 4 U.S.C. 112. I talk about it all the time. That's the where they um, they allowed Congress gave their consent for the states to enter into interstate compacts and a mutual agreements for for the prevention of crime and for the enforcement of their criminal laws and policies. So all this crime prevention stuff came out in 1934, the same year as the National Firearms Act. And it says, um, the original act imposed a tax on the making and transfer of firearms defined by the act. The law also required the registration of all firearms with the Secretary of the Treasury. What? That's right, the National Firearms Act. All firearms had to be registered with the Secretary of the Treasury. That's why the National Firearms Act is in Title 26. The IRS code. The act included shotguns and rifles having barrels less than 18 inches in length and certain firearms described as any other weapons. And that can be found at www.atf.gov slash firearms slash NFA for National Firearms Act. It says it there right now, today. That's what it says. So what did I do? I went and I found some other information I went back on America's or West Encyclopedia of American Law about the National Firearms Act. <clears throat> the reason it came about was the United States in the 1930s faced a run of much publicized gangster violence led by such well-known criminal, well criminals as John Dillinger, Al Capone, Babyface Nelson, Bonnie and Clyde. So the sensationalistic aspect of their crimes convinced Roosevelt Something needed to be done to control the spread of weapons in the general population. Attorney General Homer Cummings, he was the U.S. Attorney General, began the process of drafting recommended legislation that would achieve this goal. Cummings and his staff quickly determined that rather than ban weapons and run afoul of the Second Amendment, they would try to tax such weapons out of circulation. As originally proposed, the National Firearms Act covered a fairly broad range of weapons. But as passed by Congress, its scope was narrowed to cover only, quote, a shotgun or rifle having a barrel of less than 18 inches in length, or any other weapon except a pistol or revolver from which a shot is discharged by an explosive if such weapon is capable of being concealed on the person or a machine gun. You can't cut the barrel off a machine gun, okay? It won't work. It'll explode. But if you're going to, if you have a pistol or revolver with a rifle bore, that doesn't count. It, if, if it's capable of being concealed on a person and it, and it is a pistol that's redesigned with a, with a smooth bore to fire a shotgun shell, then it's a firearm. So what Cummings, U.S. Attorney General Cummings did, he, Roosevelt told him, listen, we've got to get rid of these weapons in the general population. We've got Al Capone out there, Babyface Nelson, John Dillinger, and people are watching their escapades, and they love these guys, and they're going out and buying guns. Well, we need to control people. We need to, we've got a lot of plans here. The bankers have a lot of plans. And one of the things we need to do is take guns away from people. So what we're going to tell them is we've got a National Firearms Act, and we're going to take away all their guns. So Cummings, 
said, well, I don't know if that's going to fly, Franklin. He said, well, you make it fly. So Cummings and his staff um, decided, well, look, if we do this, they're going to say it's unconstitutional. If we do that, they're going to say it's unconstitutional. So they decided to tax it. That's why it's registered with the Secretary of the Treasury. So as the National Firearms Act was originally proposed by Cummings, it covered everything, a fairly broad range of weapons. But Congress said, no, 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 no. We've got to narrow this down. And so we're going to say it's only shotguns and rifles with sawed-off barrels because we don't want people going into banks and movie theaters and other places robbing people, putting these guns under their jackets, sawed-off shotguns. So then Congress said, okay, we can pass that, and it will run. It will pass constitutional muster. Now, all of a sudden, they brought it back to mean every weapon somehow. Why? Because they said it. Because nobody's objecting to it. Nobody's opposing it. Nobody's reading it like I do. Nobody's on these conference calls talking about this specific issue. Not assault rifles, not high-capacity magazines. I hear people talk about it. Oh, they're banning high-capacity magazines, anything with 30 rounds or above. Well, wait a minute. 30 rounds? That's not high-capacity. That's standard capacity. Wrong argument. This is the argument people should be making because it's all about the National Firearms Act. So what did they do? Cummings and Congress said, well, we can't make machine guns illegal because it's Second Amendment. So what do we do? So what we'll do is we'll say in order to own it, you have to pay a tax. Okay, that sounds good. Well, then what do we do? How does that make it any better? Well, here's what we do. We tell anybody who wants to own a machine gun, all you have to do is bring it down to our office and register it and pay the tax, and then you can have the machine gun. So people would come down to the office with a machine gun, say, hi, I'm here to register my machine gun and pay the tax, and they get arrested for having possession of an illegal machine gun. That's what they did, because you came in with an unregistered machine gun. They made it so that you would be entrapping yourself by bringing an unregistered machine gun down to register it and pay the tax. So, in fact, the statute, it was a $200 tax on each of these firearms defined above. So you could actually have a, a, a shotgun with a shorter barrel, but you had to pay a tax on it. Sure. And if not, then you get a, it's a $2,000 fine and five years in prison. So when people will go down, they say, oh, you've got a machine gun, it's illegal. So what did they do in the 1970s when they started the National the Controlled Substance Act? They said, well, we can't ban controlled substances because people have a right to get high, just like the same thing that happened with the alcohol. In order to prohibit, prohibit people from drinking alcohol, they had to have the prohibition, a constitutional amendment. Right? Right. Then they passed laws in pursuance to that amendment. So where's the constitutional amendment prohibiting controlled substances? We don't have one. They just passed the stupid Controlled Substances Act and said, yeah, let's pass those laws. Nobody opposed it. Nobody came and said, wait a minute, where's your amendment prohibiting it? You can't pass laws unless you have an amendment prohibiting. Otherwise, we have a right to get high, man. Get off our backs. So what did they do? They said, well, here's the thing. It's a drug tax thing. This is what they did with machine guns. We can do the same thing with drugs. If you want a pound of pot, all you have to do is come down to our office and tell us you have a pound of pot, pay the tax, and we'll give you a tax stamp saying you paid the tax. Same thing they did with the machine guns. So people went down to the office with their pound of pot, and they said, here you go. I want to pay the tax on this and get a tax stamp. And they got arrested for possession of an unregistered marijuana 
That's what they did. So Timothy Leary, in 1967, went all the way to the Supreme Court, and he said that law is in violation of the Fifth Amendment because people are incriminating themselves by walking into the office with unregistered marijuana. The Supreme Court said, you're right. For three years, there were no laws in this country, no drug laws in this country. The Supreme Court got rid of it all. Nobody read about any of this. Nobody heard about it. They kept it quiet. Then in 1970, they passed the Controlled Substance Act and brought all these laws in that are all unconstitutional because there's no constitutional amendment prohibiting controlled substances. They just passed the laws de facto by the fact that they did it. So um, you go back to that um, National Firearms Act, and you can research it yourself on the Internet and read the original National Firearms Act. Michael, they're asking you to cite, yeah. cite the case. Which one? Uh, the, RI, the RI case. Um, with RI, what do you mean? Um, I'm just reading what they said here. Um, oh. I'm just reading what they said here. It said if you could cite the case or cases, and then they said cite the RI, uh, case, uh, cite the RI case about how the BAT was okay. I'm confused. I don't know what they're asking either. Hopefully they'll uh, <laughs> they'll uh, be more precise. Patrice, they're, they're writing now. Sorry, go ahead, Michael. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, I don't know what the case is, Timothy Leary case. You can look it up. I'm sure it's out there. I don't know, I don't know the site uh, specifically. But well, here's the last thing. Before you go any further, uh, we've blown through almost two, two hours already. If you want to ask Michael any questions, hit star eight on your telephone keypad, and I'll see if you can ask him. Yeah. So again, Michael, go ahead. I, I apologize. I'm going, to, I'm going to finish this up right now because what I did was I also downloaded the notes to Section 921. And it wasn't until I got to the very end, the last paragraph, okay, what they did was they put in the definition of handgun. This is how they decided they were going to try to get around it, the definition of firearm, and say that we've got handguns now. <clears throat> so the definition of firearms in 26 U.S.C. 5845 doesn't count anymore. We have a, a handgun now. Well, first of all, it said nothing in Title 18, Chapter 44 shall modify uh, or affect any provision of the National Firearms Act, including the definition of firearm, first of all. And second of all, here's what it says. Section 10 of Public Law 99408 provided that, quote, for purposes of Section 921 of Title 18, United States Code, as added by the first section of this act, handgun means any firearm, including a pistol or, or revolver, designed to be fired by the use of a single hand. This term also includes any combination of parts from which a handgun can be assembled. So now the prosecutors went out and they said, oh, you've got a gun that you can use one hand to fire? That's a handgun. Now you're going to jail. So bullshit. It says handgun means any firearm. So before you can have a definition of a handgun, it first has to fit the definition of firearm. So what kind of a pistol or revolver is a firearm? One with a smooth bore. A pistol with a, or a revolver with a rifle bore is not a firearm, therefore it cannot be a handgun. This is their way to try to, to, to hide it even deeper into the codes. 
But by using the term firearm again, they screwed up. But they had to. They had to put the word firearm in there, and they had to rely on the fact that people are too ignorant or stupid to understand it, to look it up, to find out what it means, and they knew that the attorneys are in the, on the conspiracy, and they're not going to go and find it, and they're not going to go and say, wait a minute, my client, he, he had a handgun, yes, but he did not have a firearm. Well, a handgun is a, a firearm. That's right. But if it's a pistol or a revolver with a rifle bore, then it's not included. That's under 26 U.S.C. 5845, Your Honor, under subsection E. Other, any other weapon, and it says, does not include a pistol with a rifle bore. And that's what my defendant had, so I demand the case be dismissed right now by definition. And the judge is going to say, approach the bench. Who the hell do you think you are coming into my court and bringing the law with you? We don't want, there are three things we don't want in this court. The law, the truth, and justice. I've got things to do here, and I only have a short amount of time to do it. Now, you coming in here and bringing these definitions and these laws really pisses me off. So if you ever want to win a case in my court again, I suggest you withdraw your statements and tell your client to plead guilty to a handgun crime so we can get the hell out of here. Now, go back to your client right there and talk to him. you got two minutes. This is the kind of shit that happens, whether it's on a sidebar or behind closed doors in chambers, wherever it happens to be. They don't want to hear this, that somebody actually looked it up. You looked it up? You read it? You're going to tell me what it says? Oh, my God. Now what do we do? We're dealing with corruption on an incredible level. The attorneys, the prosecutors, the U.S. attorneys, the judges, the magistrates, the sheriffs. It's either... You know, like, uh, what did we hear at the Nuremberg trials, Jack? I was just doing my job. He told me he had a handgun, and I had to go and arrest him. <laughs> handgun. I'm just following orders. We heard a lot of that at Nuremberg. And that's why we talked about this a little while ago, about the, the relative intelligence quotient of the cops. They had a story last week of a guy in New York. He applied for a job as a policeman. He took an intelligence test. He scored too high. They said, no, 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 you can't be a policeman. You're too smart. Yep. Your IQ is too high. Yep. What? What the hell are you talking about? He, he fought it. He appealed it. He went from court to court to court, and, and they finally said, no, 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 guess what? That's perfectly okay, because what they said was they gave a rational basis, and the rational basis was, oh, he's going to get bored in his job because he's too smart, and so then he's going to quit and then they're going to have to hire somebody else, and it costs a lot of money to hire and train new police officers. That's bullshit. <laughs> but it was a rational basis. It doesn't have to actually be rational. They just gave a rational basis. But it doesn't have to actually make sense or be true. As long as they give you some reason, there's a compelling interest. They can discriminate against you if you're too smart. For whatever reason they find, they don't want to hire you. They can take your rights away if they have a compelling interest and it's based on a rational basis. Then, it's, then the courts are saying, oh, no, that's okay. That's not unconstitutional. Well, somebody's got to figure out how to tie a noose and say to these people, you know what? What you did was treason. And last time I checked, the penalty for treason is we take you out and we hang you by the neck until you are dead, dead, dead. Is that how you'd like to handle this today or would you rather reconsider your decision? 
I mean, where is that going to happen? That's my constitutionally protected opinion, okay? And I have a right to say it. And I do say it. But is that going to happen? I don't want that to happen. I want there to be uh, an orderly transition. I want them to realize whether it's an attorney or just a, a pro se or impropria persona defendant who comes into court and he says, well, Your Honor, I've got a paper right here on 26 U.S.C. 5845, and I have, yes, I was in possession of a rifle with a barrel, and it was, and it was, but it was more than 16 inches in length. And it does not qualify under the definition of a firearm, and I demand that the case be dismissed immediately. Oh, case dismissed. Good job. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so if it goes to a court of appeals and something like that happens, now you have a, a precedent that will apply everywhere. It shouldn't have to go that far. Prosecutors should know better than to bring charges of, against people under these codes and these gun control laws when they don't apply because of the definition of firearm. Why well, don't we have recourse where we can go after these bastards and, and look, take them on, you know, on a personal level and own everything they have? Why can't, why, why is there that barrier between us? Why is there that wall where we can't take them on for what they are? Okay, here's why. Okay. First Amendment. Getting back to the First Amendment. It says, you have a right to petition the government for redress of grievance. Right? Right. That's what we're talking about. Right. So what do you do? You go to the government, and you petition the government for redress of grievance, and the government sends you packing. And then you say, wait a minute, what the hell just happened? And this went all the way to the Supreme Court, Jack, and the Supreme Court says, we are going to make a ruling right now on what the First Amendment means when it refers to petitioning the government for redress of grievance. Now, I think I've mentioned this to you before, and this is what the Supreme Court said. They said... The First Amendment right to petition the government for redress of grievance, it means exactly what it says. You have a right to petition. However, what it does not mean is this. It does not mean that the government is obligated to grant you that redress of grievance. Oh, I see. Right? And they're correct. That's a correct ruling. Then they went on to say it also does not mean that the government even has to consider your petition. That's when people say, the judge didn't even read my paperwork. He just threw it out. He said, denied, denied, denied. What the hell is that all about? Well, Supreme Court said they, won't, they don't even have to consider it, and that's constitutional and under the First Amendment. Is that correct? Yes. So the question is, did the Foundering Fathers write it that way deliberately so that it would someday be interpreted by some attorney who's a Bar Association member wearing a black dress sitting on a bench who would interpret it that way and say, yeah, okay, that worked out, or did they just make a mistake? Well, I don't know, Jack, but if, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and presume that they made a mistake. What we should do is go and propose an amendment to the First Amendment we want to amend the First Amendment, and we want it to say that the people have the right to petition the government for the redress of grievance, and the government shall consider the petition, and the government shall grant, it will be obligated to grant the redress of grievances petitioned for by the people. That's what it would have to say. Even if it said that, the attorneys would figure out some way to, to wriggle out of it. 
So what we've got here is nothing but a big word game. They're, and they're, more, they're definitely more skilled than we the people are. Yeah. Right. Definitely. I got you. All right. But, like I said, so, so what do we do? Amend the First Amendment? Or I think what will happen is it's gotten to the point now where the government has, um, has become destructive of the beneficent ends of its institution, the sole purpose of which is to protect and secure and guarantee our rights. In fact, it has, it has become so destructive that we need to alter it or abolish it. I'm not advocating the, the violent overthrow of the government, federal government. I am advocating the abolition of the federal government on the grounds that it's become destructive of the beneficent ends of its institution. Where is that? It's in the unanimous declaration. That's where you can find that. So but when you say abolish, they're going to be like, oh, then you're, you're advocating the violent overthrow of the government. You're going to Camp Guantanamo. We're going on a little vacation to Cuba because you're, uh, you want to overthrow the government. No, I don't want to overthrow it. We have a right to abolish it. Abolish is different than overthrow. Abolish is respectful. Abolish is civilized. We want this to be a civilized manner. Well, why? Because prosecutors are prosecuting people for, for gun crimes, and they're trying to pass more gun control laws referring to firearms, but they're forgetting about the definition. They can pass any law they want, and it's constitutional. They can pass any law they want prohibiting shotguns, rifles, and pistols. As long as they know it only applies to shotguns with a barrel less than 18 inches, a rifle with a barrel less than 16 inches, and a pistol with a smooth bore. If it has a rifle bore, it's not a firearm. And every firearm law, every gun law, does not apply to a pistol or revolver with a rifle bore or a shotgun or a rifle with barrels 16 inches or more in length or 18 inches or more in length, respectively. That's what it says. Michael, you're angry at me because you're making this too damn simple. It is too simple, Jack. That's what I try to do. That's what I try to do, make it as simple as possible. Yeah, we basically overcomplicate it, and we're burying ourselves in the process. We all want to be buried, I guess. Assault rifles, um, high-capacity magazines. High-capacity magazine, what is that, like a Playboy double issue? <laughs> That's what a high-capacity magazine is with two centerfolds. It has nothing, to, it has nothing to do with my firearm because I don't have a firearm. Right. If that rifle has a barrel 16 inches or greater in length, it's not a firearm. So, um, you know, like I said, it's hard to stop them because they've created a, a culture of fear by talking about these um, false flag operations and exaggerating these shootings that didn't happen the way they say it happened. It's to the point now where I'm, I'm looking at videos on the Internet and people are saying that it never happened. This whole thing in New, Newtown, that never even happened. There are literally people out there who believe it didn't happen. I'm one of the people who believes it didn't happen the way they said it happened. I don't know that it didn't happen at all. It's possible that it didn't happen at all. Look what happened with the uh, 9-11. Nobody can convince me that, a, that a, a jetliner hit the Pentagon. No way. Or that a plane crashed in Pennsylvania and left a little hole in the ground, but no, no debris, no engines, no metal, no dead bodies. I mean, come on. That didn't happen. 
for this whole thing in Newtown. People really believe it didn't happen. There, there are Holocaust people who say the Holocaust never happened. You have Jewish people, Jews with the tattoos on their wrists. They tell the stories of having been there. Okay, well, maybe there's more to the story. Maybe, and one of the things I read, it wasn't as many. There wasn't six million Jews, and there were other people who were uh, taken out to camps. Exactly. And, there wasn't that many alive at the time. The numbers right. were I mean, so, impossible. So, yeah, you know, there's a, I forget who said it, but there's, this, um, there's a quote about history. History is fables agreed upon. What could be more accurate than that? History is fables agreed upon. Now, when we were growing up, history meant what happened 100 years ago, what happened 200 years ago. But in our culture today, in the information age, history is what happened 30 seconds ago. It's already on YouTube. It's history, man. History is what happened 30 seconds ago. Yep, yep, you're right. You know, and so they make up a story. They put it on the news. And they say, this is the way it is. Did you see what that one guy, he was the, the Connecticut director of the state police or somebody? He said, there's a lot of stories out there going around that all this false information. And I'm here to tell you that the only information that comes that you need to listen to is what comes from this microphone right here. Are you kidding me? Somebody should have taken that guy out and chopped him up in little pieces, in my constitutionally protected opinion. How dare you? You don't want anybody saying, oh, I took a video and here it is. I'm putting it up on YouTube. I want to tell you that's all false information. If we find out who you are, we're going to come and get you. We're going to arrest you. We're going to put you in jail. Oh, I got in his face so quick on that one. I got so quick in his face. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. Whatever happened to the freedom of the press? You know? Sure. <clears throat> it's fables agreed upon. When they make up the stories. And then they tell you what it is, and now it's history. And then somebody puts it in a book, or they go on TV. Did you see that one video of Robbie Parker, Emily Parker's father, where he... Um, cracking up before the interview? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've put that out everywhere. And then all of a sudden he takes a deep breath. He had to pinch his cheeks to get into character. Yeah. He's just an actor. And then they had a picture of his daughter with Barack Obama two days later. You see that? Yeah, the whole family, including the little girl, uh, in the same dress. Yeah. Oh, oh my problem here. I mean, come on, man. So it's like, oh, what are you telling me? All these people are in on the conspiracy? Sure they are. They go up and they say to them, look, we'll give you $50,000. Do you believe that people shouldn't have guns? Yeah, absolutely. Great. We want you to help us. All you have to do is say that your daughter is dead and you're in mourning. Here's $50,000, and then this is all you have to do. This is all you have to say. They didn't let any of those parents see their kids. They, they showed them Photoshopped pictures. Listen, I was a paramedic for many years, and I have never, ever, it, it's atrocious to even think they could try to put this across to us. Um, you don't leave dead bodies for two, 48 hours without picking them up and properly. Right. Pausing. It doesn't happen. It does not happen. It can't happen. It won't happen. It never does happen. Yet they nope. did here with Sandy Hook. Yep. And then I found the somebody sent me a link to the ABC or NBC story. We got some more word on the shooting in Newtown. Federal officials now say that there were no rifles in the building. The rifle was in the trunk of his car, but some of them didn't even say that. They just said he didn't have a rifle in the building. 
Well, let's just say that they were riddled with bullets, shot from an assault rifle, so we can pass these laws and ban assault rifles again. And then the coroner was in on it. He even swore to it. Yeah, I saw they were riddled with bullets, and those are those were wounds that were consistent with an assault rifle. Liar. He lied. Yep, yep. You know, he's the one who's uh, falsifying those reports. He's doing whatever they say because he's in on the conspiracy too. And you know what? A conspiracy is, is secret. None of this is secret. It's right out there in the open. People just refuse to accept it. They refuse to believe it. They refuse to even see it. And I send people links to those. I said, hey, I see that link to Robbie Parker, the little girl's father, who uh, was acting, and he was smiling and laughing. He goes, oh, are we going to start now? And all of a sudden, just like an actor, he went into his uh, character. No, no, I, I didn't even look at that. I don't want to see that. Of course you don't want to see it. You're a brainwashed robot. Yep. You don't want to know the truth. Yep. You know what? I think it'd be okay. Every, the 80-20 rule applies to everything, Jack. If 80% of the people want to pay taxes and 20% of the people don't, they should let 20% of the people not pay taxes. Absolutely. You do, if you want to give me your money, knock yourself out. I'll support you. But yeah, don't absolutely. come to my head and make me try to you know, force me to have to pay what you voluntarily paid. Right. If people don't want to have a driver's license to, to uh, navigate their personal private automobile, then 20% of the people will probably opt out, and the other 80% will probably still do it. So the question is, how greedy are they? Are they going to let the 20% go and keep the 80%, or do they not want to lose that much of a market share and sure. try to hang on to it and end up the whole thing collapsing? All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was an absurd <clears throat> from Jack Bauer's show with Michael that went in and defined firearms and also talked about the attorneys in the beginning of this, how the attorneys are part of the system, how attorneys will not come in and bring in the legal definitions on your behalf and but will allow the prosecutor to misrepresent the law in the courtroom. In order to deal and fix this problem, ladies and gentlemen, our education is going to have to come up. 